Thank you to McDermott Road to make a Sunday like this possible. And the leadership here, the eldership that since our beginning has been devoted to worldwide missions and the efforts that we put into that. I appreciate our missions group, the time and effort that they put into uh, uh, considering where we're working and what we're doing and the leadership and guidance that we need to give. But thank you, McDermott members, for your participation, uh, the things you've done in the past to help so many different places. Uh, your giving in particular uh, is a great blessing. I may have said this before, you may have heard it, but a one in five dollars, 20 percent of our budget goes to global missions. And we're just so grateful for that, that uh, when you know that you've put any amount of money in the to our collection or towards our giving, that people around the world are the recipients of what you are providing and what we are accomplishing. I hope there is no question among us, certainly, of our responsibility to do what Jesus not only commanded us to do, but encompasses really uh, the entire reason that he came to earth and the entire reason the church of Jesus Christ even exists today, and that is to continue the message of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Can we, can a church lose sight of that? Can a church lose sight of uh, what that emphasis is and become distracted from this global call that we have? In fact, I might ask it this way. What happens when an organization forgets its purpose? What happens when it fails to adapt to society changes and innovations that need to be put into place? Or what even happens when it might be distracted for the reason it was established in the first place? Let me give you a couple of examples of that, okay? You may have heard me tell this story uh, uh, the preacher visiting the home back in the 60s and the mom says, uh, little Johnny, go get the book that we all love and adore and uh, that we read every night and that we look at together page by page. And, and little Johnny leaves the room and he comes back and he, he brings back the Sears catalog, okay? Because that is the book that was so popular in, in so many homes. In fact, the early days, Sears, you might say, put the catalog on the map. And uh, it was affordable and so forth, craftsman tools, Kenmore appliances. But they were caught flat-footed as Walmart and Target and Amazon came into play and chewed up their turf. Sears tried a lot of different things, financial services, insurance, and so forth, even real estate. But Sears lost its way. And I'm not sure where the closest Sears store is, and I certainly don't get their catalog anymore. But what about a little more contemporary? Back in the 80s and 90s, one of my favorite stores. And if you had children, you know what I mean. Uh, Toys R Us seemed to be the perfect store, did it not? Everything that you wanted to, to find for your kids. They even put some stores out of business. Uh, but now the Toys R Us is closing. Walmart, Target, and Amazon, better quality and better service. Again, somewhat distracted from what they came to accomplish. So when a human institution forgets its reason for being, it is in uh, 
danger of financial ruin. But when the church forgets its reason to exist, the whole world is in danger. The entire world is in danger because the person of Jesus Christ, the very light of the world, is no longer shining that eternal hope into that lost world. So the Lord's church cannot lose touch with who we are and what our purpose is. In fact, I would say it this way in 2022. God is calling the church today to awaken again to its responsibility and assume the divine role as the body of Christ. You remember the song we just sang, We Are the Body of Christ? We sang one goal, one vision, which is, as we sang, to see Christ exalted. And to this we said and we sang, and to this we give our lives. Those are the words of that great song. Last week, Wes reminded us that we're not a country club. Remember how he used that phrase often in that lesson for us. But we are Him. We are Jesus on earth. We are Jesus embodied in the church, which simply means we would be or we should be doing what Jesus would do. We are the body of Christ. We are Him. This means we do what Jesus would do. He came to seek and to save the lost, and that is precisely what we must do, and He suffered for doing that. And even today, there are brethren, as we likely are aware, uh, we've said before in uh, eastern Ukraine, the churches of Christ, that in, in the 90s, that was in a, it's considered almost the Bible belt of New Testament Christianity for Eastern Europe. And so many Ukrainian brothers and sisters have been displaced, but they are suffering, but still being the body of Christ. So we're called it often and sometimes to seek and to suffer as well. Let me show you the mission statement of our missions group here at McDermott Road. Here's how it reads. The Church of Christ on McDermott Road will spread the gospel message all over the world with such clarity that people can make a valid decision about Jesus Christ and start viable churches so that new Christians will persist in their faith. And you might say, well, what is the significance of some of those phrases? Well, let me kind of break that down. With such clarity means that we are hoping with the work that the McDermott Road Church does worldwide that the places we're supporting, there's no mistake about what is being communicated. In other words, the gospel message is the clear part of that work. And valid decisions, meaning that those decisions are based on the gospel, that they're based on meaningful decisions that people make. And viable churches means that those converts to Christ are being put into local indigenous churches that are thriving and that have the sustenance and the support and the resources to be a, a grounded congregation. And persisting in their faith means that there's also that continuation of follow-up with these converts. 
So how have we gone about doing that here at McDermott Road? You know, there is a method of missions that I have been familiar with at times, and maybe you've been at a church where this is the case, and I'm not sure what to call it, but sometimes churches put lots of, uh, or a little bit of money into a lot of places. You might say 20 or 30 churches, they might send two, three, four hundred dollars a month, and they, they have what I call pushpin missions, and maybe you've been in that church building where there's that bulletin board, and you see all those lines that are drawn to places, and all the little pictures around, and and it's good. Those those places benefit from that amount of money. It's it's a little bit, but it it's it's work that's being done and the message that's being spread. But I would submit to you that may not be the best way of doing missions, and it's not the way that we do missions here at McDermott Road. Here's how we support work at McDermott Road. We really focus just on four different areas of the world. And you may know those places are Estonia, Haiti, Nicaragua, and the Rio Grande Valley. Now, uh, not to say we don't at times have some one-time contributions that go to some places and just a very worthy request that, that come our way. But what are some advantages of us in a sense, focusing on these four areas and just four only to, to a large degree. Here's some advantages I would, I would list for you. One is we, we can have a deeper knowledge of the work there. We can share a lot about one place. We can know the, the history of that work. In fact, of these places that we have they've listed, we are in often the history <laughs> the beginnings of the work in those places, the originators. Secondly, we can have a greater connection because over time, you learn the names and the faces of the people that we're talking about and the relationships that we have and, and specific ways that we, we help a certain area, such as the angel tree and the backpacks that we do for South Texas. That's because of that connection that we have and, and uh, the opportunity. Thirdly, of course, the opportunities to visit. Uh, uh, when you're only going to four locations, uh, people have been to those places. Last year, you may remember, we had everybody stand up in the auditorium who'd been to those four, one of those four places, and, and over half our audience was able to, to uh, be recognized in that way. But fourthly, our mission efforts have fewer supporters to be accountable to. In other words, Nikolai in Estonia does not have to necessarily be concerned about 20 churches that are supporting his work and all the things he has to do to satisfy those 20 churches because we are the sole supporters of the work in Estonia. So it helps them not having to report to, in that way or, or worry about loss of support from two or three places and then having to make that up. So this is how the mission work at McDermott Road is done, and I'm, I'm grateful for the way that we do this, and I hope you feel you do have some connections. But this morning, uh, we're going to share with you two of these places that uh, uh, we do focus on. I've mentioned Estonia, and uh, that's the one that we want to uh, uh, mention first. Kevin, why don't you come on up here, brother? Uh, uh, Kevin is going to share some things about the work in Estonia. Kevin is uh, deacon on our missions group and works with the um, 
uh, effort there and corresponds in that way. Ron Warpole, of course, helped start that, and Tim Morgani as well. And uh, Kevin, I don't know if you want to share, but uh, I think you even met somebody important there when you first got there, and he's married to her today. So uh, Stephanie was working on the mission field at the time. So Brother Kevin, come share with us about the great work we have going in Estonia. So this is oh. a bit of a surprise, <laughs> um, but that's, that's just fine. I, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Kevin Mims. Um, I did indeed meet my wife, Stephanie, um, in Estonia. She was an American that grew up in this area um, it, about 10 years before me. But, um, it, so she's a bit older, but yeah, it's all right. We're working it out just fine. Um, <laughs> And so she was living in um, Tartu, Estonia um, in 2010 when I went with uh, Ryan Carroll um, for the summer. And I met her and became uh, very distracted and Ryan got mad at me and, you know, it, but it, it, it was a good investment for what it's worth. <laughs> um, but this country of Estonia, it, one of my probably my favorite place in the whole world. Um, it's situated at the top of the Baltics, the north side of the Baltics, just under the Baltic Sea, south from Finland. Um, it's not labeled on this map, but it's right next to Russia. And it, it's been an independent country since 1991, after the dissolution of the USSR. Um, led for the countries in the area to reassert their independence. Um, it, the revolutions in those areas were largely nonviolent. Um, the USSR simply did not have the money or the will to continue their dominance over those areas. And so the people rose up and they resisted and said, no more, we will be, we will be our own. And since that time, it's been very very stressful and tentative for these tiny countries to defend themselves, um, not only from continued Russian oppression, but also from other influences around the world. This area of the world has been one that's been, that's changed hands many, many, many times. Um, not just the Russians, but also the Germans, also the Danes, also the Swedes. Um, it's been conquered so frequently that the national identity is greatly affected, greatly defended, but there's also this cultural isolation that they experience where they're not, they're not so open to outsiders, which of course is the challenge whenever we are gonna go visit and spread the word of God and say, okay, well, what are you trying to sell me right now? Because we, we don't want to belong to anyone else. We, owned by anybody else. And so that is one significant challenge of the work there. But Estonia is grown exceedingly close with its Baltic neighbors, but also with the Scandinavian neighbors as well, identifies very strongly and powerfully in um, tech development, in educated works. They've always strived to be on the bleeding edge of those industries rather than to allow themselves to just use outdated um, technology 
to fill their needs. They, instead, they want to be using the most advanced available, and it's been a benefit to their country. But now let's talk about the church in Estonia. I believe there's another slide for that. So as you can see here, the building is full. And this is an important thing to look at here because as you can see, this is not, uh, this is not a homogenous church. Uh, you can see people of all sorts there, young and old, and many Africans in this church attend that have migrated from Nigeria or Uganda, um, where they come to Estonia and say, okay, I need to be in a church. Where can I find a church? And they land in Asandusa. The church itself is situated in a poorer part of town, um, it, predominantly Russian, ethnically. And because of that, it affects the membership. And it, so the membership is largely of the Russian ethnicity. Now, whenever your people have a stranglehold on the, on the government for 50 years, and then suddenly they lose that, um, it, you go from a first-class citizen to below, um, below second class. And it, that is very much what it, the church has experienced and the members of this church have experienced as it, being Russian ethnically, is that their education didn't matter anymore, their skills and expertise didn't matter. And you know, if you were an engineer or a doctor before, you, know, you, could, you were qualified to work as a store clerk. And you were qualified to work in labor, in hard labor. And so that is something that the church there has experienced and as part of the unity that the body of Christ has been able to draw out of that is that it, we are not Estonian and Russian. We are Christians. We are of God. So many of you are likely aware that there's an ongoing conflict in, in Ukraine. Um, it, Russia invaded on the 24th of February this year. And in that time, they have experienced such turmoil in the area. But one of the things that our church in Estonia has been focusing on for the last 10 years or so is increasing their involvement, not just with churches in Estonia, but also churches throughout the Baltics and partnering with churches in Russia as well to become more interconnected, more united in their approach. In the days following the invasion um, in February, I reached out to a brother in St. Petersburg and I just asked, what's happening? What are you guys doing? How can we help? Because as you know, the, or as you may know, um, our ability to provide financially or to send money to our brothers and sisters in Russia has been completely cut off. That is part of the part of the response that the U.S. has had strategically to limit Russia's ability to perpetuate this war and continue this war. But I reached out to him to see if there's anything we can do, and his response um, moved me to tears. And I will uh, attempt to <laughs> to read all of this without without that happening again. But. I said, how are you doing? How is the church doing? How can we help? And he said, hello, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for your prayers. We just returned from our friends at church. There we spent time in prayer and comforting each other. We read what Jesus prayed in John 17. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. 
Now we understand these words better than ever before. So we understand that for us is only beginning of bad times, and we will appreciate your prayers for us. But now we ask your prayers for your brothers and sisters in hot places in both sides of this crazy conflict and for all people who suffer right now. Remembering Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. As Christians, we do not support any political movements driven by ambition, especially as what's happening right now. But we pray for all people who now fell into this monstrous vortex of lies and delusions, who think that respect can be gained by violence. And so that response, the faith of our brothers and sisters in Russia, it, it is exactly what the body of Christ needs to be doing right now. And this cooperation we have, this love that we have for our Russian brothers and sisters needs to persist. It has to continue because they will be a voice and a balm to the evils that are occurring in this world and the evils that are occurring in Russia these days. So the body of Christ is one. And so in, in Ukraine, there was an area um, in the southeast uh, town called Mariupol. And it was a port city thriving. It's been under siege for several months now. Um, the people are being starved out. Cities being raised to the ground. Um, that's that is how the the Russians carry out their wars, and, they, and that is how they are doing it even now. So you can see in these pictures some. Uh, there's a few people on the front rows. I'm not even sure what screen to point at. It, okay, but there's a fellow there with a shirt that says "Spirit" on it, um, and I'm not sure what that could mean, but. I mean, he, is, he and his family traveled from Mariupol and was uh, moved, forcibly removed from Mariupol by the Russian military, and then they escaped to St. Petersburg, met with our brothers and sisters there, and then escaped to Estonia. And so it, at the border, our brother Nikolai, um, maybe next slide would be good, our brother Nikolai met with um, Alexander and Irina, and... Uh, who was leading the refugees at that time. And he met them at the border, guided them back to safety as they escaped. Now, Alexander stayed behind in Mariupol with people that were not able to escape before the Russians laid siege to the city. Something that he did while he was there was to leave their refuge during the day um, they stayed in the church in the basement there, um, and they they had around sixty or so people. About half of those were church members, and the rest were just people. They said, "Please come, be safe with us." So during the day, Alexander would leave the would leave the church, go out and find puddles of water where he would gather the water there, and then filter and distribute water to the people um, because there was no other way for, for them to have safe water. During this time, it, it, this, was, this was not a safe endeavor for him. He was under fire. In fact, I mean, it's hard to tell from this picture, but he has injuries to his face where he was wounded um, in that process of simply gathering water to provide to people that need it. And so 
it, it, it's hard to think about that here, being here, it, about needing water and needing food because they, that is something in ample supply here, but that is not something that they could take for granted. It's something they had to depend on the Lord for. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide, please. So what we have here is a picture of our youth here in, in or not here, but in Tallinn, Estonia. And they have taken on a role here in the last few years that the camp that we put on for usually one to 250 kids, kind of in that range, depending on the pandemic and all that. But they've taken on the role of leading and ministering to children to teach them the word of God. And so it's been a massive, massive blessing for these workers there, the youth that attend, and to, to be taking on a leadership role there and passing on the good news to the next generation. We cannot include uh, pictures of camp due to the legal restraints in Estonia to showing pictures of children. So these are this is the picture we can show, but these are the people educating and learning about Christ every day, but not just how how he changed the world, but also how he can change their lives now. So I want to bring our attention to a brother in or a brother and sister in Russia this time. I don't have a picture of them at this time. I, I thought it would be perhaps unwise to circulate photos of brothers and sisters in, in Russia um, when things are so difficult for them at this time while they still live in Russia. But um, it, many of you have met before Konstantin Chagulin and his wife Lena. And they, they have even come to church here and led a singing workshop um, and they've come to other churches in the area. They, they love to sing. They love to make music. In fact, when they were brought to Christ, it, it was as they were spending time in, in symphonic orchestras um, throughout Europe. And so then they were led to Christ during that time. And since he became a Christian, Constantine has gone about his work of writing music in songs, original songs in Russian, in translating them to Estonian, to English, to even Ukrainian, um, to, to be sung in the churches. One of the songs he wrote, we will play a video of in just a moment, but I would like to read the psalm in English first. This is Psalm 63. I'll be reading from the, I don't even remember, CSB, whatever that stands for. Um, it, yeah, but it reads this. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I think of you, as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you and your right hand holds on to me. But those who intend to destroy my life will go into the depths of the earth. They will be given to the power of the sword. They will become a meal for jackals, but the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by him will boast for the mouths of liars will be shut. 
So Constantine wrote the first eight verses of that um, it, into his song. And recently there was a video dis- distributed of a man, a, refu- a refugee in the west of Ukraine, rejoicing to God um, with the words that Constantine, a Russian, wrote. And I'd like to play that video for you now. in that place, but let's be praying for the folks that are having these difficulties, and uh, as Kevin mentioned, the ministering nature of the church in Estonia that they can be to these refugees. We also have a short video now of our another work that we do in Nicaragua, so let's uh, get that started. Thank you. Good morning, church. In the next few minutes, I'll give you an overview of our mission program in Nicaragua. It's known as BICA the Biblical Institute of Central America. The project began in 2008, and at the time, McDermott was one of the principal supporters of the program, but since then has assumed full oversight for the program and provides most of the funding for it. There are a couple of congregations who contribute monthly as well. BICA is a two-year program we train evangelists and church leaders. Now, some of them become preachers, but because we don't see our program as training preachers specifically, we accept women as well as men. We have singles as well as married couples. Through the years, we have graduated approximately 150, and through our contact with them, believe that 85% of them are still active and faithful in their mission. The students that come to us generally are in their late teens to mid-twenties, but we do have occasionally uh, older people, generally men, uh, who come to study as well. In fact, the last two uh, years, we've had uh, men in their forties who came to 
learn the Bible better. That was their sole purpose. I mentioned that we have uh, singles as well as married, and so let me talk about our facilities just for a moment. Obviously, there are individual dormitories for male and female singles, but we also have apartments for eight marrieds. There's a great classroom with good technology, obviously a dining hall and kitchen, as well as an administration building. The typical week for these students is intensive Bible study for four and a half days. However, on Fridays in the early afternoon, they will all head to the bus station where they will take buses to towns all over Nicaragua, sometimes two, three, four hour ride to get to their weekend assignment. These assignments rotate every three months, so during the course of the year, they will work with and for four different congregations. While at their assignment, they may do door knocking, they might uh, hold youth events, they might teach a ladies class on Saturday or even Sunday, and some of the men might preach. But they'll return Sunday afternoon to do it all again the next week. Once a month, the entire school packs up, including the kitchen and the kitchen staff, and they will head out to a city, sometimes far away, to hold a week-long campaign. Now, this is generally in support of an existing local congregation, but once, sometimes twice a year, they'll go to a city without a church and start a new one. Well, we believe our results have been really impressive. Pre-pandemic, I have to qualify that, pre-pandemic, we averaged 26 to 30 students on campus at any one time. And as a result of our campaigns, we averaged 600 baptisms a year and another couple of hundred restorations. Well, the pandemic has certainly hurt us. Uh, this year, we only have 12 students. We would have had 20, but the government denied entry to eight students who wanted to attend our school from outside of Nicaragua. Hopefully that will open up again by next year. Well, we will not make 600 this year, but on the campaign I was on just two weeks ago, we did close the week out with 10 baptisms and left behind 20 good contacts for the local church to follow up with. Of the 150 or so that I mentioned earlier, I did say that uh, a good number have become preachers. And I don't know exactly how many, but I do know that the church all over Nicaragua uh, has preachers who have graduated from Bica. But not only that, every other Central American country has our graduates as well. There are two in South America, one in Spain, and even one in Medill, Oklahoma. So, as you can see, uh, we've had quite a reach uh, with our program. A good number of our members have been down and participated in uh, projects there. We have had two medical brigades and one construction trip. And I'll show you a few pictures uh, from that in a few moments. Lord willing, uh, we will have 
the doors open next year for outside students to come. And by February, we hope to have the opportunity for another mission trip. Well, you may want to know more about all of that or perhaps even be interested in going on a mission trip. And so if so, feel free to reach out to me. A few more pictures that follow. And in the meantime, God bless you. Hay una senda que el mundo no conoce, hay una senda que yo pude encontrar. En Cristo tengo la salvación de mi alma, Cristo es la senda que me puede salvar. En Cristo tengo la salvación de mi alma, Cristo es la senda que me puede salvar. Las amistades y todos mis parientes fueron las gentes que yo relacioné. Me aborrecieron por causa de su nombre cuando supieron que a Cristo me entregué. Me aborrecieron por causa de su nombre cuando supieron que a Cristo me entregué. Aquel camino de tantos sufrimientos, aquel camino que el cielo me trazó, fue transformado en aquel feliz momento, cuando mi Cristo al cielo me llamó. Fue transformado en aquel feliz momento, cuando mi Cristo al cielo me llamó. want to mention, uh, you may be aware during our Bible class at 9.30 all our adults will remain in here and our elders will share uh, about our local outreach, what we're doing in Collin County, what our future plans are here in the local area. And if you want to come to the 10.30 service, uh, you'll hear about our work in South Texas and also in Haiti. So again, thank you for this wonderful occasion we've had this morning. If I could sum things up, I think I would say it this way. Without God, there is no great commission. There is no outreach. It is God who inspires, empowers, and then commissions us, the McDermott Road Church, to take His good news next door into the whole world. I hope we don't lose sight of that, brothers and sisters, of our responsibilities, both as individuals and corporately as a congregation. God bless our efforts together. Uh, we're going to sing an invitation song, and if there's someone this morning who may need to respond to that gospel call to be buried in baptism or even ask for prayer, we certainly want to take that occasion. Let's stand and sing as Eric leads us. <laughs>